0: and welcome to Behind the Numbers. My name is Dave Bookbinder. I'm a managing director at B. Riley Financial. I'm also the author of The New ROI, Return on Individuals. And welcome to the show where we dig deeper to understand what matters most in business. Today, I'm excited to welcome an old friend of mine, a fellow by the name of Dr. Todd Brady, who is the chief executive officer of Aldera Therapeutics. Todd, welcome to Behind the Numbers. Thanks, Dave. Thrilled to be here. It's my pleasure and our pleasure to have you. Tell the uh, audience a little bit about yourself briefly, and then we'll dive in.
1: For sure. I am a a physician by training, went to medical school, went to graduate school, a PhD in biochemistry. Uh, But from there, got involved in in biotechnology. I went to uh, venture capital when I graduated. Uh, Spent a couple years there, started a company, Uh, I went to another company that was then sold, went back to venture capital, and then my first investment many years ago at that second venture capital firm was the company that I'm running now. Uh, I am firmly planted on the operating side as a biotech executive. I'm the chief executive officer of Adler Therapeutics. We're developing novel immune-modulating drugs, starting out in the eye, but rapidly moving to other parts of the body as well.
0: Great, thank you. Let, let's start by by unpacking Aldera's mission and your purpose, your why for doing what you're doing. So, uh, one of the, um, the the diseases or treatments that you're that you're working on is a dry eye disease. Talk a little bit about what inspired you personally to pursue that particular avenue, Todd.
1: Well, first of all, I think immunology is the final frontier in medicine. I used to think it was the brain. Uh, But now I think we can understand the brain. We we can program in neural networks and and so forth. But the big black box in the body really is immunology. And the classic disease for the front of the eye, at least, is dry eye disease that that relates to immunology. Uh, All of us are looking at computer screens. All of us are looking at cell phones. Uh, Some of us are wearing masks still. And uh, we're drying out our eyes. As, as a result, even as a society, we're drying out our eyes. And uh, there really is a dearth of therapies for, for dry eye disease. There's really two, I would say novel approved eye drops for dry eye disease. Uh, I think physicians and patients would sort of universally agree that, that therapy is inadequate. And thus uh, there's a, a demand for new therapies and we aim to, to fill that void.
0: Gotcha. And in doing so, you're not just working on a new drug, right? You're working on kind of a new pharmacological platform, if you will.
1: That's right. My thing in life is I decided at at a young age that there's a lot of ways to make money. You know, I could buy golden corrals, I could invest in railroads, I could work in a potash mine, whatever. There's so many different ways to make money. But what I really wanted to do was innovate. And and create something different and new, in the drug space, the Golden Corral railroad version of drugs is reformulating generics. That means take an old drug that's been around for a long time, uh, change it a little bit. Maybe it's a, a syrup instead of a pill, or 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 an injection instead of a, a a lotion, that kind of thing, and then get it approved for some disease and so forth. And I think. Those kinds of advances are interesting. They're sort of incremental, though. And and my my goal in life is to throw the ball down the field. And so with the drugs we're developing here at Aldera, not only are the drugs themselves new, that is, the chemical structures of those drugs are new, but the target of those drugs, what the drugs bind to, is new, and the whole pharmacology is new, that is, today's Drugs pretty much attack a single protein, whether it's an enzyme, or receptor, whatever. Every drug you've ever taken, more or less, is designed to inhibit or activate a single protein. Our drugs don't work on proteins. They work on much smaller molecules, and they work on a class of them. So the idea is to modulate a whole bunch of things at once instead of just one single thing and i was just saying the other day dave to you that i think in the future our kids our grandkids will be taking drugs that don't just do one thing a single drug that does many things and that's sort of the direction that we're trying to go here at aldera
0: yeah talk a little bit about the prevalence and the problem of dry eye disease how many people suffer from this todd i know i certainly do
1: it's quite amazing my, my father uh, was a, he doesn't practice anymore. He was an, a neurologist and, and about 10 years ago, he said, hey son, what are you working on? And I said, dry eye disease. And he said, is that a disease? And I said, yes, I said, it, it is. In fact, about 40 million people in the US have a dry eye disease and many tens of millions of other people worldwide. And it's getting worse for the reasons that I mentioned. We're all looking at screens too much. Uh, we're not sleeping enough we're not eating enough fish oil, that sort of thing. The the disease is very prevalent and, and growing, and it's a big problem. I think the other thing about dry eye disease is it's persistently disturbing. A lot of these front of the eye irritations, redness, allergy, dry eye disease, they don't just sort of hit you one day and go away. They're there, they're sort of chronic issues that over time, wear you down just a little bit more. And, and as I said earlier, we really don't have good therapies to treat them.
0: Yeah. And where is Aldera now currently in that process, Todd? And when do you think we might see something?
1: We're almost at the goal line. Fortunately, drug, drug development is a long and costly process. I think it was the studies out of Tufts many years ago saying that it cost about a billion dollars to develop a drug from the idea all the way to uh, having access to patients. And uh, we're not too far off from that. We've probably raised uh, over half a billion dollars so far to get this drug approved. It's expensive, it's expensive to get through animals, it's expensive to get through humans. The good news is we're in phase three clinical testing. Phase three is the end of clinical testing. You have phase one, which is normal people, phase two, which are small patient trials, and phase three, which are big patient trials. Uh, fortunately, I think we're done with our, our clinical development uh, program shortly. And then we submit an application called a new drug application to the, uh, the FDA. Uh, they evaluate that over 12 months or so. And if things go well, then the drug will be on the market next year.
0: Well, we wish you the best and really look forward to seeing that available to everyone who suffers from this disease. Todd, I'm going to take a moment here to ask you to tell folks how they can connect with you, if they want to learn more about you, the company, or dry eye disease.
1: Well, we're publicly traded on NASDAQ. A-L-D-X is our ticker symbol. Our website is aldera, A-L-D-E-Y-R-A dot com. All the information you need is, is right there. And of course, I'm always happy to chat anytime.
0: Awesome. Thank you. I want to talk a little bit about your, your journey of entrepreneurship. Um, when I first met you, you were what was called an entrepreneur in residence inside a private equity firm. And you've gone from that to now the chief executive officer of a publicly traded company. Talk about that journey. There's a lot of folks who are watching and listening who hope to you know, achieve that same uh, course of action.
1: When I was in grad school, one of the amazing things serendipitously that, that happened to me was my thesis advisor started a biotech company. This is in the early nineties. And that really wasn't done very much back then. In fact, in academia, industry was sort of seen as evil um, at, at that point in time. But I got fascinated with the idea of, uh, of developing something that could affect millions of people, a drug, a new therapy that, that could benefit millions of people as opposed to becoming a physician where more or less i helped one person at a time so i went into venture capital after i graduated from the mb phd program because i thought that was a good way of funding innovation and and typically all the investments i made including eldera initially were based on novel throw the ball down the field kind of investments um and um i think uh, what I learned as an investor was I actually enjoyed getting my hands dirty. I enjoy doing things. I enjoy analyzing data. I enjoy uh, writing papers. I enjoy working with the FDA and working with clinical trials and animal trials and so forth. And and that sort of led me to move more to this entrepreneur in residence position. So as an investor, typically what you do is you put money in companies. And if uh, you're on the private side, often you will sit on the boards of those companies, which I did for many years at Aldera as an investor. Um, But our CEO transitioned. He actually went from the operating side to the investing side. We had a gap in our our leadership team, and uh, we had a little battle on our board about who would then be the CEO. Um, At the time, Johnson & Johnson was also an investor, and so I said to their board representative, who I'm still in touch with today, I said, you must be the CEO. And he said, J&J won't let me do it. So you have to be the CEO. So I became the interim CEO. But what I realized really quickly is that I enjoyed it. I enjoyed working with the management team. I enjoyed uh, doing all kinds of the development opportunities and and activities that I just described. Um, And so I became an entrepreneur in residence. And then in 2013, which is when we met, uh, the IPO market for biotech really opened up. I realized that I had the opportunity to take the company public. Our preclinical data, we didn't have clinical data, at least not a lot at that point, suggested that the platform was broadly applicable. So as I mentioned, we're starting out in the eye, but now we're, we're treating diseases that affect the whole body. And so that allowed us to go public. Uh, we raised money. We're now publicly traded. And from then on, I transitioned from the venture side to the operating side.
0: That's a fascinating journey. And along the way, you mentioned in the open that you raised about a half a billion in capital, but along the way, you've had to deal with raising money and be investable and demonstrate that you guys are worth an investment. What what does that mean today, Todd? Talk to the folks who are contemplating capital raising as they're going through the life cycle of their company towards hopefully aspiring towards being public one day.
1: Well, with any, any startup, no matter what industry you're in, often you need to raise money to, to get the business off the ground. And that's such a critical skill. Venture capitalists are, are I find, often particularly good at it because they're the ones investing the money. So when you, when you cross to the other side of the fence and you're raising money, you understand what your target audience wants to hear and wants to see and, and so forth. Biotech in particular is interesting at the startup phase and then beyond the startup phase because you don't make any money. You don't have any revenues. It's the weirdest business model ever created. A, a neighbor of mine ran a large biotech company that was sold for many hundreds of millions, maybe even billions to to, to BMS one year. And I, I said to him, I said, what do you think of all this? And he said, it's a crazy thing. We, we've been a business for 19 years and never made a cent of profit. So you must raise money. You, and, and what you sell, you sell two things. The first thing you sell is your stock. And in selling your stock, what you're really selling is, is hopes and dreams or promise or, or a better future that you're able to develop something that can positively affect the lives of millions of people uh, down the road. And that's really an art. You have to get good at that. Otherwise, uh, you, you're going to be out of business quickly in biotech.
0: Yeah, that is definitely a unique industry. Like you say, I've worked with uh, hundreds of biotech companies over the course of my career. And like you say, in looking at a forecast, it's zero revenue for a very long time. And then when everything clicks overnight, you need 800 salespeople. So, Todd, we're going to have to take a quick pause here and pay a few bills. You sit tight. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back on Behind the Numbers after this quick pause. Let's go, Walter! It's up to you. Walter, 12 o'clock. Come on, bud, you're scaring him. Walter, Walter!
1: One evening as the sun went down and the jungle fire was burning. Okay, last one. I
0: came home, I am not him I'm headed for a land that's far away beside the crystal fountain. So come with
1: me, we'll go and see the big rock candy mountain. That is incredible. I know, right? It's the
0: multiflex tailgate. It can be a step, you can extend the bed, it can even become a workspace. I met the cat. What's so great about him? He didn't have a workspace. He's a cat. <laughs> the Chevy Silverado with the available multiflex tailgate. Walter, go get some firewood. Find new adventures. Find mountain. new roads. Chevrolet. Hello, everyone. I'm Mark Iorio. I'm the host of Rainmaker's Roundup right here on RVN-TV. The show is about looking for people who are in competitive businesses that are doing something different and unique in the world of sales and marketing. Join me right here on Rainmaker's Roundup on Wednesday mornings at 9 a.m. and then again on Thursday evenings at 6.30 p.m. right here on RVN-TV. and welcome back to behind the numbers i'm dave bookbinder and today we're talking with todd brady who is the ceo of aldera therapeutics todd welcome back thank you good Good, to be here good conversation in round one i want to continue kind of the theme on on your progression and uh you now have two new masters in your life that being the the fda and the sec so it wasn't enough just reporting into institutional investors along the way what's it like now share that experience I'd say I have three new
1: masters. So my wife, <laughs> the FDA, and the SEC. It's another example of why biotech is sort of special—not the wife part, but the but the SEC and the FDA side of things. Uh, typically, when you launch a product um, and you're a publicly traded company, you, you might deal with the F, the, uh, the the SEC because you're publicly traded. But uh, if you launch a drug, you have the FDA as well, and The FDA is really there to make sure your drug is safe and effective. I think before the FDA really does what it does today, there were all kinds of drug products that were launched, and maybe they weren't safe, and maybe they weren't effective, and so forth. And that's the role of the FDA. The challenge is, as I mentioned, it's so expensive to prove that your drug is safe and effective. Usually, it involves thousands of humans that are in in clinical trials and probably hundreds to thousands of animals tested. Uh, before that, all to make sure that your drug isn't going to harm people and that it does what you claim that the drug does in terms of activity in in a certain disease. The SEC piece, I don't think is that unusual for public companies. I mean, you have to have a good CFO, you have to have a good controller, you have to have good accountants, you have to have good attorneys. And that's, I guess, really designed to make sure that you're not defrauding uh, investors. But it does make your life complicated. As a, as a small biotech company, when you don't have hundreds of people running around it to help you with this sort of stuff.
0: Yeah, and one of those things you just shared is always a great nugget for anybody who's watching and listening. Surround yourself with a good quality team of advisors to help you navigate these waters. So you've been through a lot. You've learned a lot. Anything you would have done differently now with hindsight, Todd?
1: One thing that um, maybe applies to all industries uh, particularly, though, in biotech, is this fascination with precedent. That is, what have other companies done before you? Uh, what have other companies told the FDA? Uh, what have other how have other companies set up their management teams? How have other companies raised capital? What banks have they used? What investors have they talked to, and so forth? I think, largely, as a society, but particularly in business. And maybe even more so in biotech, we're fascinated with precedent. And so, when I got into the business and and started running a publicly traded company, I did everything by the book. I did everything in a way that uh, other companies had done it. Easy for me to say now because we've been relatively successful. We have raised a ton of capital. The, the drug has the drugs have largely continued to progress and, and work well. And I think we'll be uh, in the hands of, of physicians and patients shortly. But looking back, I probably would have paid less attention to precedent. I always tell people now, our employees now, I want to hear about precedent one time. And that's all I want to hear about. Because I'm able to remember what you said. I'm able to understand the precedent. But let's not fixate on what other companies have done. Let's do something a little bit different. But I will tell you, inertia is a powerful force. and, And getting away from that is often tough. But I would encourage all kinds of companies and, and management leaders to think a little bit more outside of the box than we typically want to do.
0: Yeah, that's good stuff. Talk a little bit more about inertia. Let's unpack that a little bit. Uh, tell us what you mean specifically and what would what would you recommend?
1: Well, it's easy to keep doing the same thing. It's easy to keep doing the same thing that other companies have done, um, that that other management team members have done. It's risky not to do that. It's risky to do something different. But as the old saying goes, uh, expecting a different result from doing the same thing is a measure of insanity. If we're going to innovate, if we're going to change, if we're going to improve, we probably can't just keep doing the same thing. We need to try different things. Maybe it relates to my background as a scientist in grad school. All you do is experiments, right? You you, you try different things. You, you try different parameters and so forth, hoping to get interesting results that no one else has generated before, we should really run these kinds of experiments in the business world too, in my opinion.
0: Great advice. Todd, for folks who want to know more about you or Aldera, how can they reach you?
1: I'm on LinkedIn. That's always a good way of, of uh, getting a hold of me. And again, on our website, uh, we have all kinds of contact information and we're generally very responsive in that in that way as
0: well. Yeah. I want to talk to you about leadership and what it means. Uh, What does leadership mean to you? And has that definition changed over time as you and your firm has evolved?
1: Well, I gauge the quality of employees in two ways. I'm I'm probably not smart enough to gauge them in any more ways than just two. Uh, One is uh, how, how well do employees perform operationally? That is, can they get their jobs done? And the second way is how strategic are employees? And that latter piece, I think, really relates to what I was saying about innovation. How creative are they? How willing are they to take risks? My view of leadership is, if you're able to stimulate those two qualities within uh, your management team, then you will achieve success as a leader. A leader is someone to motivate, to stimulate, and I also am a big believer of leaders working with management team leaders as opposed to above them. I think, I think we should all think of ourselves, especially in small companies, as partners. Uh, I have a very flat hierarchy here at, at Aldera. I work with pretty much everyone in the company. We have open workspaces, we have cubicles. Uh, all of that relates to being partners Uh, we're all in this together. There is really no hierarchy. And in that way, if I'm able to stimulate operational skill and and strategic and creative skill, I will have considered uh, myself a success in that regard as a leader.
0: Yeah. Every entrepreneur I talk to shares the stories of the multiple hats they have to wear day to day. And And certainly when you're working with the smaller teams, it's got to be a collaborative environment. But one of the things that entrepreneurs have shared with me over the years is that there's this innate inability to let go of the rope, so to speak, the need to be in control of everything all the time. Is that something you experienced, Todd? And and if so, have you overcome it yet?
1: I'm still working on it, Dave. (laughs) It's it's hard. At heart, many entrepreneurs uh, are do-it-yourselfers. Because you sort of have to be uh, and maybe the field of of entrepreneurial development seeks out naturally do it yourselfers, because in, in the beginning, it's sort of you and maybe a few other people. Even today, um, you know, our, our market cap is 250 million. We have a couple hundred million in cash. We've raised over half a billion. We have. Uh, uh, two drugs in phase three trials and so forth. Even today, we have about 15 people. Now, part of growing, though, is letting go. <laughs> As you said, surrounding yourself with the best people you possibly can. And in my view, the best people are the best operators and the most strategic thinkers. But it's it's tough uh, uh, to allow that transition to occur when you're used to um, repairing your deck outside your house all the time and, and mowing your own lawn and and uh, you know whatever. In my case, doing doing statistics internally, it's tough to to let go, but it's also necessary.
0: Yeah. And and I know you're a longtime fan of this program and you know that we talk a lot about corporate culture here and how that impacts uh, the ultimately the value of the enterprise. And In building your business and in talking to all CEOs, the the key thing I hear is it's got to be intentional. You've got to have an idea of what you want your culture to be. So we've got about five minutes to go here in the program, Todd, but I want to give you an opportunity to talk about your perspective on building that culture inside Aldera.
1: Unfortunately, in Boston, in biotech, Boston is probably the largest real hub of biotech in the world. It's so competitive to hire people. I think ultimately, small companies can compete with culture. So we don't allow uh, committee structures. We don't allow uh, uh, meeting after meeting to make decisions. One way we compete is we say to employees, you can come in, you can make decisions, you will have autonomy. You will not sit behind 27 committees to see your idea to uh, fruition. Sure, you'll collaborate with other people. You'll work with other people, um, but you'll be able to make change in a fast and efficient way that you would not be able to do in a larger company. That's one thing. I think another way that we're able to compete in it, and it it relates directly to corporate culture, is is wearing many hats, which you just mentioned. Uh, at a, at a small company, it not only do you have the opportunity to wear many hats, but you have to, because there aren't any other people. You don't have a team of people working for you. I think often uh, people, especially if you've grown up in a big company, really just have this idea that that success in life is about managing a whole group of people below you. Uh, personally, I wish I didn't have to manage anybody. I would love to just do what I need to do and and move on and and stimulate people to be the best operators and strategic thinkers that they can be. But We all have to manage people. In a small company, you don't have that burden per se. You don't have 100 folks working for you. So what we tell prospective employees is you can make decisions quickly. You'll have a lot of autonomy. You can wear many hats, and you don't have to worry about the many HR issues that come with managing a large group of folks.
0: Yeah, we've got about 90 seconds or so to go here. And what you touched on there, Todd, is is the idea of mission. And that's another theme I hear regularly, that employees want to be part of something bigger. And is there an inherently bigger mission inside of a biotech company, per se, because of what you're trying to do?
1: Absolutely. I I always say we, as individuals, walk this planet for a finite period of time. We don't have forever. And so you might as well uh, do something important. It's lasting. It changes the world. I used to be a a boy scout. We went camping every month and we had this little thing. When you go to a campground, you have to leave it nicer than when you found it, whether that's cleaner or more organized or what have you. I think the same thing applies in life. We're here for a limited period of time. The earth is our campground. Let's leave it nicer uh, than it was before we got here. And biotech, it's a great mission because even if we're just a little bit right, we have the opportunity to improve, you know, life for other people, uh, which is, I think, just a really cool way of spending your own life.
0: Really, really well said. And I think that's a great place to, to wrap it up here, Todd. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us today on Behind the Numbers.
1: Great to see it, Dave.
0: Thanks. Yeah, my pleasure. We've been talking today with Dr. Todd Brady who is the chief executive officer of Aldera Therapeutics. And again, my name is Dave Bookbinder, and I'm the one that my clients turn to, and they want to know what their most important assets are worth. So you can reach out, find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter. I'm always happy to have a conversation. And of course, thank you for watching and listening. We can't do this show without you and your support. Be sure to hit the subscribe button so that you can stay in touch with all that we're up to. That's it for today, folks. We will see you next time on Behind the Numbers. Take care.